The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Um, but we've been reading the Bible in six months as a church. It doesn't make us super Christians, just makes us hungry. Somebody say amen. amen. And not all of us are up to date, and that's just fine because the goal is encountering God in his word every day and stretching ourselves to, to receive more and to see more and to learn and to grow. And so this is my second time through in the six months, and I'm gonna keep doing it this way till I die probably, but... Um, we've been doing it. And uh, we read Ecclesiastes, which is one of the Old Testament books of wisdom literature last week. It's 12 chapters. We read the whole thing in one day. And if you read it, you may have gone, well, that was weird. And then just kept on going, right? And, but I read Ecclesiastes this time. And at 41, it is very different than it was even last year and very different from when I was 21 and very different from the first time I read it when I was 11. You know, as we go through life, our experience of life, the things that we go through, the joys and the suffering, um, the things we experience, they give us different lenses by which we interpret the world, other people, the future, the past, God, and the scriptures. And so we come to the scriptures, they have not changed. These are the same words that they were 20 years ago, um, but they, they minister to us and they affect us and they teach us and direct us and disciple us in different ways in different seasons. You know this? And so I read Ecclesiastes and I read it in a way that I'd never read it before. And so I wanna just walk you through it. And I'd read big sections of it in the first service, but we don't have time for that. So I'm gonna read real small sections and summarize a little bit, paraphrase for the sake of time. Um, but before I do that, I just wanna pray because um, I definitely need God's help to do this. Lord, we thank you for your word, which we're about to hear. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak by your spirit into the hearts of those listening. God, that this would not just be an academic or intellectual exercise, that we would not just be going to church and get, getting through it till it's over, but that we would have the expectation of being addressed by God Almighty. Lord, we thank you that you want to offer us life-altering hope and faith and transformation. You want to give us significance and meaning in the mundane, and you want to accomplish your purposes for your kingdom on earth in our lives. And so I'm asking for your help as we look briefly at this unusual and ancient book of literature, of wisdom literature, and we just want to get the message that you want to give to us. And so I pray that you would speak now in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 So if you uh, read any commentators, you'll find that they always have different ways that they organize books. And every kind of book has its own kind of literary design. And so there's features that everybody recognizes. And yet all of us, because we're a little different, we organize things differently and we outline things differently. So when I read the book of Ecclesiastes, which the name Ecclesiastes is a little strange of a name, right? Now, if you know anything, you've been in church in any length of time, you know that church is not the Greek word for church. The Greek word for church is, some Bible scholars say it, Ecclesia, right? Or Ecclesia. And it means the called out ones. And doesn't Ecclesia sounds like Ecclesiastes? Do you hear the connection there? And this is because Ecclesiastes is a transliteration from Greek to English of a translation from Latin to Greek of a translation from Hebrew to Latin. And the Hebrew word is kohelet, which means class is in session. And this is why it means the teacher. And so kohelet is a way of saying the teacher. So everyone's gathered to listen. This is why ecclesia means the called out ones. They're being addressed by their king. It's a more royal kind of legal term. And Ecclesiastes is the teacher. 
And so this is where this book comes from. And it is 12 chapters and it's wisdom literature. And so the teacher is leading you through the human experience and inviting you to be kind of soul level honest with yourself and with the teacher and bringing you to these conclusions that seem right and yet are empty all the way through to the end of the book. Do you understand? And so it's gonna set itself up with a problem and then there's going to be this pursuit of an answer or a solution that's going to resolve into paradoxes. This is true and this is true and these don't work together. This is, you guys have been alive for any length of time? You know life makes perfect sense, right? Like Frozen 2, it all makes sense when you get older, right? No, paradoxes. What do you do with all of these paradoxes? And then there's a prescription. The book ends, the last two verses are a prescription. Here's what you should do, okay? And so I wanna just walk you through that real quickly. And then I wanna ask you to consider the fact that this book is only partial in the solution that it offers, but it's not the end of the book. Can we do that? Okay, I've just told you where I'm going. And so please try not to fall asleep. I have seven minutes, so I'm gonna talk faster than you've ever listened. Ecclesiastes 1. Uh, the words of the preacher, Kohelet, the son of David, the king of Jerusalem. So Solomon is almost certainly the author of this book. He does not name himself. Verse two. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil under which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down. And it hastens again to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south. The wind blows to the north. Round and around the wind goes. On its circuit, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. There's always more. The ear not filled with hearing. There's always more. What has been will be, and what has been done is what will be done and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of the former things or people, ambiguous, nor will there be any remembrance of the later things or people yet to be among those who come after. Very despondent, isn't it? Oh, wow. Everything's, the NIV translates this meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. We're like, well, let's go to lunch because what's the point? So the point is that this is the prologue and this is the problem. So this is what the philosopher, teacher, preacher of Ecclesiastes is recognizing is that when you look out into life, um, you, wh where is the meaning? Where is the significance? Where is the value? Because we live in a world that is um, by its very nature unjust. We, we know what's good and evil and yet we see good people suffer and perish and we see evil people apparently succeed and thrive. And you go, well, okay, where's, what's the deal there? God. And then we go, is God in heaven? Is he real? How does this whole thing supposed to work in the first place? The people we love die quickly. And then our own life comes speedily at us. Have you guys noticed the older you get, the faster time goes? Have you guys noticed this? I remember, I remember the first time I noticed this, I was like 20 or 22 years old. I remember I go to my dad. I was like, dad, it seems like the older I get, the faster time goes. And he said, <laughs> you've seen nothing. That's what he said. That was his response. He was in first service. Sounded just like that. The older you get, time's just flying, flying, flying. Now, the word translated vanity, vanity's not really the greatest translation in English, in my opinion, because we think of vanity, we think of someone who's preoccupied with themselves in the mirror. Ooh, 
or something that has no value. And I think meaningless is even worse because it kind of just says there's no point. It's all, it's all nihilism and, and pointless, the whole thing. But the word here is a Hebrew word, hevel, hevel. And it means vapor or breath. You guys know when you walk outside and it's cold and you can see your breath? I know this doesn't happen in Florida, but in other places you can see the, humi- the humidity in your own breath freezing, crystallizing, and it looks like smoke. That's the word, hevel. It's a, it's a breath. It's fleeting. You can see it like smoke or fog, but you can't grasp it. And then as, soon, as much as it's there, it's gone. Do you see all this? And so like fleeting may be a more appropriate word. And the, the picture here is that it's puzzling, that everything is like, how do we make sense of this? How do we get our hands around it? Have you guys ever had these questions? Have you ever laid awake at night and thought, how did I get here? Why is this happening? What am I supposed to do? What, what does the future hold? Where is the meaning? And just as soon as you had the thing that brought you joy and value, it's gone. Do you see? And so this is the problem. And so Solomon here identifies the problem. And of course, this is poetry. And so it goes on and on and on. And then in the book, he engages in pursuit. I'll summarize quickly here. But he has afforded all of the opportunity of any human being ever because he is exalted to the place of the king of a unified Israel, is bestowed supernaturally with divine wisdom after asking for this. First Kings 3, you can read about it. So he knows everything. He has all the wisdom. And this makes him the wealthiest man who, who ever lived to date. And so Solomon is in a position to be able to explore every available option, and he does so, and he begins with self-indulgence, and so he pursues meaning and value by giving himself whatever he wants whenever he wants it. So he's like a millennial, (laughs) right? So he's like, I want, I have, and if I don't have, I'm upset and pouty, and you ought to give it to me or else. So vote for for Bernie, right? This This is the impulse. So he denies himself nothing, and then he goes, you know what? I got to the end of that though. And I, after having everything, I felt the exact same. Totally dissatisfied. Vanity of vanities, again, all is vanity. It's like grasp, gra- grabbing after the wind. And then he goes, well, let me apply wisdom. Let me take this gift of wisdom. And instead of like shelving wisdom to just go after whatever I want, let me just do everything with wisdom. And he does. He goes, okay, this is better. This is wiser. This is long-term. This is, I do all the right things. And after doing all the right things for a prolonged period of time and denying himself in order to do what's wise, he sets back and he goes, well, this is just as dumb. So, so I have a few more things and things went calculatedly well, but like I don't ha- it didn't resolve any of the sense of value or purpose that I was seeking. There's a, a dissatisfaction. Do you see? And so he goes, well, let me try work. Let me just do the kind of like the masculine head down, go to work, make the paycheck, fulfill the obligation. If I do this enough days in a row, something good will grow, take care of the people around me. You know what I'm talking about? And so he applies just toil and he builds stuff and he makes stuff and he brings order and he does the man stuff. At the end of this long period of time, he goes, same thing. And now I'm just older with more, more stuff and more people looking at me for a handout. He literally says, like, you have, the more things you have, the more mouths you have. Oh, no, 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 no. You got any, any old wealthy guys in the room? You're like, oh. Vanity of vanities, all of it. And so he pursues And then in this pursuit of trying to discern how do I grasp a hold of meaning through all of these different methods, he begins to come to these conclusions and they're kind of sprinkled throughout the book. It's very hard to organize, but in my mind, I see during this pursuit, he comes to hold on to these paradoxes. He goes, this is true and yet this is true and I have to hold them both, but they don't go together. And so there's these paradoxes that like one of them, the most famous, everything has its season or everything out of its time, right? And so if you of a certain age, you know, the bird's song, turn, turn, turn. That's the song you're thinking about, right? I thought it was the mamas and the papas. I was wrong. I Googled it. It's the birds. 
turn, turn, turn. My parents played this on vinyl when I was a child. It's very traumatizing. They're like, is this a happy song? Why are you singing this happy? This is not happy. Who are we, what, are we, what are we tearing down? Who are we killing? What, what, what? Do not play that around your children or grandchildren. The paradox is like, there's the things we deem to be good, and so we pursue those things, but then if you live long enough, you realize that sometimes you have to do bad things. Sometimes demolition is necessary. You're like, you know what I'm talking about? I just, I just renovated that kitchen 12 years ago, and now I'm taking it apart again, right? But sometimes you have to do demolition. Sometimes you have to break things down, tear things down. Do you understand? And so a thing that you thought was always bad turns out to be necessary and turns out to be actually good. You're going, what? A war, a just war. Someone's doing evil and you have to stop it and now there's a war. War is bad, but not this time. Do you see the paradox? And so he goes, there's a time for everything. And then in verse nine of chapter three, he says, what gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, look at this. He has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Here's the paradox. On the one hand, the older you get, the more you get to see that there's actually a time for everything. And if you actually could recognize that, you could live in the moment under the sun, experiencing the beauty of the thing that you're walking through. Do you understand? But the problem is, and here's the paradox, we can't shake this feeling that there's more to life than this. You can't shake this awareness you have that time has been going on for centuries, millennia, maybe longer, and that there's a future of generations of people who are moving into this future that you have no place in, that death is imminent, that all of us are facing it, and that we're made for something that's mysterious and other and unavailable to our five senses to hold on to. So how do we sit in the beauty of this moment and also recognize this tension of having eternity placed in our hearts. It's not a comforting thing. It's very discomforting. Do you see? It's not just like, oh, God has placed eternity into it. You're like, ah! <laughs> Do you see the paradox? And so he, he runs through a number of these paradox. I talked about them in the first service. You, you can listen later if you feel like it. You probably don't. <laughs> and then he moves from problem, pursuit, paradox to a prescription. And this is where the book ends. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 to 14. I'm having self-control. I'm not saying 17 things. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. The end of the matter, semicolon, just in case you're wondering where to use a semicolon. <laughs> the end of the matter, all has been heard, okay? Period. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. So here's Solomon's conclusion. There is a God, you are not him. He has revealed himself through covenants to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's established the nation of Israel, and he has set me as its king. And I'm telling you, that is the real God. Every other God is a false God. And so live your life under the fear of him, which is a holy reverence for who he is and who you're not. And so there's a God, you're not him. And so when he says something, you don't have to understand it to do it. This works on middle school students also. Right? Because say it, I'm the mom, I'm the dad. That's why. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. I'm in charge here, you're not. So, so Solomon says, fear the Lord and then keep his commandments. There's a lot of things we don't know, but he's been really clear about the things that he said we should do and not do. It's not that hard. They're all written down so you can refer to them later. So he says, fear God, keep his commandments. And then he says, hold on to this, verse 14. You're going to live a life that is filled with disparity and, and injustice. Wicked people are gonna prosper. Good people are gonna die young. 
things are not gonna go the way, you're gonna have done all the right things and then you're gonna be backstabbed and lose it all. That can happen. Hopefully it won't happen to you. What do you do? He says, listen, that's God's business and he's gonna set all things right. So you live a faithful life in relation to him, do the things he said, it's very simple, and then trust him that in the next age, after your death, when he deems is the right time, he is going to dole out justice. This has a wonderful humbling effect and it helps us to keep our eyes on our own page, doesn't it? Because that day is coming for you too. Now that's really, really, really good wisdom. And so if you read all of Ecclesiastes, it was just a long journey to get you to 13 and 14. Do you see that? Now we could, we could stop right there and I could send you guys home. But the reason I'm not doing that and the reason I'm going four minutes and 26 seconds over is because the Bible does not end at Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verses 14. It doesn't. And Solomon, though he was the greatest and wisest man to exist to date, was not the greatest and wisest man to exist ever. Luke eleven thirty one. Jesus speaking to a crowd of people who reject his teaching, he says this, the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, who came and visited Solomon and had, saw all of his wisdom and all of his wealth, and she said, I, heard, I did not believe what they said about you, but not the half was told to me. This is what she says in 1 Kings 10. But in Luke eleven thirty one, 31, Jesus says, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment, the one that Ecclesiastes 12, 14 was talking about, at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Do you see this? Solomon had everything he knew, he got right. There's just a lot he didn't know. And here's the point of Ecclesiastes, and here's the point of Jesus. You need a teacher. Do you know that? You need a teacher. And I don't mean me. I'm just the loudest student, okay? I just get to do the most talking. I have a teacher. You have a teacher. We have the same teacher. His name is Jesus. Somebody say amen. And you need a teacher. You need a teacher. And you need a teacher you can trust. Listen, Solomon went through 12 chapters to convince you you could trust him. He said, listen, I tried it. I did it. I failed at it. I found at the end of it, there was nothing. All of us have experienced it. They say that money will not make you happy. And all of us say, I just want to find out for myself. Right? Solomon is saying, trust me. You can trust me. You can trust me. I had access. I did the thing. I tried all of it. I, I sold Amway. Doesn't work. You know, trust me. I've been there. I'm, I've been there and I've come back. But he only knew what he knew. Do you understand? Now, Jesus comes on the scene and he is the eternal son of God, co-equal, uh, present in creation, the word by which all things cre were created, the, the, the mysterious dark energy that's holding everything together. He is personified. And what does he come as? Well, he starts as a construction worker because everyone should start as a construction worker. And then he came as a teacher. Do you see? And he came to show us where that eternal significance can be found and how we might receive it. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is the source of true wisdom. Listen, he has told us way more than Solomon ever knew but he still hadn't told us everything because that's not our job. Our job is to trust the teacher. Can I get amen? And so 
in light of who Jesus is, we ought to do the same thing Solomon said, fear God and keep his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, then keep my word. Do the things I've said. It's not that complicated. It's hard, but it's not complicated, right? It's not easy, but it's simple. He says, trust me. And here's what I want. Some of you are here and you, you, are, you have been seeking and searching and seeking to resolve. And this tension has been alive under the surface. And maybe it's just barely kept you on the border of church and church people and Christianity. And, and you can't settle it down. And so you're still here, but you're more cynical than trusting. And here's my message for you today. Cease your searching and trust the teacher. Amen. It's that simple. You know why? Because he died so you could live. He had, nothing, he had nothing to gain and everything to lose, but you were in the crossfire. And so he came and gave up everything to rescue you. And on the day of judgment, you will not suffer the consequences for the mistakes you've made. He bore them away and you're gonna receive the reward for the work that he did in you by the Holy Spirit. Do you see how good this is? Can you trust this teacher? Can you trust him? And so here I'm just saying, trust in the teacher. Listen, I'd love to take you into John chapter three. This is what I did in the first service. And I showed you the picture of Jesus, the teacher with Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel and the conversation they have. And Jesus is saying stuff that Nicodemus could have known, but he didn't. But he's revealing stuff that there's no way Nicodemus could have known because Jesus is saying, I came from heaven. And he kind of exposits Proverbs 30, two to four. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. You guys have had that moment? I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I the knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who's gone up to heaven to know the God stuff and then come down to tell us? Nobody. Nobody can tell us anything. Who, who has gathered up the wind in his fist? It's like chasing after the wind. It's Hevel. It's gone. I can't get it. And who has established the ends of the earth or wrapped up the waters in a garment? What is his name? Proverbs 30 verse four. And what is his son's name? Surely, you know, you're the rhetoric. I'm mocking you. This, 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 this proverb is mocking you. You know nothing, but there is one who knows the Holy one, knows his name, knows his son's name and has revealed that. And this is what, Nicod this is what Nicodemus' conversation in John chapter three is all about. I commend it to your reading. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. You needed, you needed what you didn't know. Eternity was put in your hearts, but your stone cold dead heart needed to be replaced. This is what Jesus comes to reveal. Ezekiel got a glimpse of it. Jeremiah got a glimpse of it. Isaiah got a glimpse of it. And those prophets said, oh, a servant of God is coming and he's gonna do a miracle on the inside of you. The wind of the spirit is gonna blow, Jesus says in John three, and then what was dead is gonna come to life. And you experience what Jesus called being born again quickened, regenerated. Listen, if you try to figure it out, here's what you get. <sighs> Hevel. <sighs> there it is. I was gonna have everybody do that, but it would fill the room with bad breath. <sighs> but listen, if you trust the teacher, here's what you get. <sighs> Ruach, spirit, wind, life. You don't have to chase it because it came for you. It's got your number and it wants you to live. This is the spirit of God. This is the truth of Jesus. So cease the search and trust the teacher. Amen? Amen. Now, listen, some of you are so hard-headed. You're like me and you got to have all the answers for yourself. I love that Solomon ends up with more questions in this book than answers. You know, he has 32 questions in Ecclesiastes and eight answers. And that feel like life. But listen, I'm, I'm not standing up here telling you I know everything. I'm just a hungry student, but I know the teacher. He's never failed me. I trust him. I trust what he says. 
and there's a lot of stuff I don't know, and there's a lot of stuff that I'm gonna be scared of that's gonna hurt. I don't even wanna know. Don't even tell me. Stop asking God to tell you all the things. You can't handle the things, okay? But you can trust him. And here's what he wants to do for you. He wants you to follow him with this disposition called the fear of the Lord. That's why we're disciples around here. We're just trying to do what he's ta taught us, okay? Because we trust him. And he says, I wanna give you my spirit. You know that wind you were chasing? It's come for you and it's made you alive. So breathe in the spirit. Experience the gift of a new heart. You can't do it for yourself, but he's done it. And if you believe in him, then you've received him. And so walk in him and trust him. And if you live your life this way, you can go to sleep without all of your questions answered and without all the resolve that you hope and wish for, but you can rest your head on the pillow because you know you don't know what the future holds, but you know the one who holds the future. Amen, amen, amen. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. Lord, it does take some effort for us to understand it and think about it. But you have spoken and you have taught us. And I just pray, Lord, even as we are students in search of answers, that we would just trust you, that we would look to Jesus and experience your great love and trust you and be willing to obey you, do the things that you've asked. Lord, only, only you can do this and it is a gift. And I just pray right now that this, the wind of your spirit would blow in every heart and every mind, that you would cause us to be born again, that we would put our trust in Jesus, to come alive to a living hope and that we could experience the outpouring of your spirit, the fullness of joy and peace and comfort and healing and help that we all need. We thank you, God, that you do this and we receive it in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen, 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 amen. Listen, if you have never given your life to the Lord, don't leave today without letting us pray for you. We'll, we'll pray for you right now. We'll lead you in a little prayer. Today can be your day.